Welcome to the very first episode of Cutting Edge. Very excited to be here with you folks and finally get started with this because it's something that's been on my mind for quite some time now. And I finally put together the pieces and the resources to make this happen. So uh, my name is Landon Sturdivant, if you don't already know who I am, and I'm hoping the next 30 minutes can be of value for you. Uh, my guest here today is a singer, songwriter, and rapper from the Seattle area. He's uh, He's been dabbling in the underground scene since uh, about around early freshman year, but finally graduating from... Uh, uh, Lakeside High School uh, this spring. Um, he's finally made the decision to commit full time. So um, with over a thousand monthly listeners on Spotify and his 2019 single Hit the Woe coming in at over 264,000 streams right now. I think it's actually 267. What's it like? 247,000. I don't know. I don't, I don't, know. I, I don't even keep track of it anymore. Dude, yeah, it's like it's blowing up. But anyways, please welcome our guest today, Elion Joseph, a.k.a. Oscar J. How's it going, man? It's pretty good. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, um, man. Super excited that you're getting started with this and um, always willing to support, willing to help out. And so. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Um, my first question for you today is um, if there is uh, one individual song or artist that kindled your passion for music, who or what song would that be? Gosh, uh, one song. If I had to put a person, it would definitely be Nathan Zonga. Um, oh, isn't he like uh, like one of, like a friend of yours? Yes, he is. Nathan Zonga is a friend, brother, mentor. He's, I mean, he's he's the best, and I would say he's one of the people that really, really got me um, starting to thinking about taking music really seriously. Because I would say, you know, everyone makes music these days. Like it's it's not hard to just record a song and then like put it up anywhere on any sort of digital platform. Anyone can go out and do that. Um, it's affordable. It's more accessible, which I think is a beautiful thing. Um, and I think that having music being more accessible to more people is awesome. And um, I also think it opens the door for a lot of people who don't really care about it. And so, you know, there's always that sort of a little bit of a, like a, like a presumption when you tell someone like, Oh, I make music. There's like that, like, or are you a SoundCloud rapper? <laughs> yeah. Again, I have I have nothing against SoundCloud rappers by any stretch of the imagination, but I also feel that like culturally, especially within our own generation, there's a real negative connotation there. Um, and oh, so yeah. that question is almost <laughs> delivered in a really condescending manner. Um, and so, you know, especially when you start off making music, if you don't want to be like, you know, treated like a joke, if you will, you know, you have to find ways to sort of take it more seriously. And one of the avenues by which I think Nathan does a really good job with that is through storytelling is he emphasizes music as a mechanism for storytelling. Um, you know, he, it's, he, he views it just as much as one would view a book or one would view film or any form of literature as, as it exists on the creative spectrum. It's just like, this is another medium through which you can tell stories. Um, and I think he sort of really opened my eyes to that because I was just kind of writing music because I liked writing songs. I started singing because I was like, I like to sing. I'm pretty good at singing. I mean, I'm not the greatest singer on planet earth, but I have a serviceable voice and I loved writing, writing music. So I was like, let me just write music. I like writing rhymes. And then um, he sort of angled me towards this vessel that was even more profound that allowed me to use this as just a mechanism for just like telling my story, not just my story, but also the stories of like tens of hundreds of people I speak to every day because I hear all these cool things. Everyone has a different life. And then I take that and I put it into song. So I would say Nathan Zonga and his philosophy of storytelling is probably one that I hold very close. 
Dog, see, this is why I wanted you as my first guest. It's always, <laughs> it's always a super deep, passionate answer. And yeah, this is why I love talking to you, man. Of course. Um, my next question is, um, have you been in Seattle your whole life? And what impact has the Pacific Northwest had on you, your life, all aspects of life? Whatever. Gosh, yeah. okay. So I, yes, I have been in the Pacific Northwest my whole life. Um, I, I actually grew up in Bellevue, which is, uh, mm. for those of you who aren't from the Pacific Northwest, it's about 20 minute drive from Seattle. It's across the water. Um, and I grew up in Bellevue, uh, and I would say being in Bellevue particularly didn't have a tremendous influence on my musical career. In fact, I would say even anyone who did grow up in Bellevue doesn't have a tremendous, like, there's not like a huge, like Bellevue music scene, if you will, but I would say Seattle is like a greater area, especially if you look at like Seattle and as it intersects with you know, Tacoma, uh, or even artists who are like down South or even artists who are up North. Like one example of, a, of an artist down South, for example, is, is Noah. You guys can look him up at listen to Noah. I mean, that guy makes awesome music. Um, but there's like all kinds of artists, like in the general vicinity. And I would say it makes up a unique Seattle sound. So, um, when I first started singing, um, I mean, I've been singing for as long as I can remember. Uh, I've, I've always loved singing, but when I first started taking singing seriously, my biggest influence was my choir teacher, Miss Wanyama. Um, she's incredible. I, I still keep contact with her to this day. Um, and she really, really inspired me to just like work on my voice and to really have that be something that is important to me and working on my voice. And so what grade level was that? Uh, I started choir in sixth grade and I did oh, it cool. all the way through sophomore year. And she was that's when I first started singing. Teacher? I wasn't really into songwriting then. I was just kind of singing. Right, right. Yeah. So um she got me really really into that and that was a lot of like you know just like singing constantly and um you know when I sort of got really into it there was this opportunity that I had to perform the national anthem at uh this event that Lakeside holds called tailgate which is like it's not actually like a tailgate but it's like a big sporting event all the middle schoolers come and they watch one of the upper school teams play and like everyone's there and usually well, not usually, but sometimes they'll pick a really bad team that they're playing just so that, you know, they'll win big time and then everyone's there to cheer and celebrate. <laughs> it's the way to do it. Um, so I think it was maybe seventh or eighth grade when I was singing there. Um, and I had a friend who knew someone who was there at the game. I can't remember um, exactly who it was, but, you know, she told me, she's like, oh, this guy makes music. And I was like, what do you mean he makes music? She's like, like he puts out music. And I was like, what? And so she like sent me a link to it. Cause I, I, I mean, here I am, like, I'm, I'm like 13. My understanding of music as an industry is just like, these are just professionals, right? You know, you, you sing, you perform on like America's got talent and then you get a record deal. And then right. all of a sudden you're a pop star. Like that's what I was thinking about it. And then she's like, no, this dude's legit. And she like sends me his stuff. And then I start checking him out. And then through that rabbit hole, that's how I found out about Nathan. And, you know, I just started like digging into this stuff and I was like, Oh my, like, and I was like, these people are like my age. Like this dude's like a freshman. This dude's like a junior. This dude's in eighth grade. Like these, these are people who are our age who are doing this thing that I've always thought was like super unattainable. And that's when I kind of realized and started doing some more research and being like, Hey, this is something I can do. So I would say my Seattle music influences or, or at least the influences to start making music are less so about like a general Seattle sound. Like, you know, obviously there's, there's tons of, of legendary shadow artists that, obviously deserve tremendous amounts of respect, but what really got me into it was seeing other people within that proximity, right? Because 
you know, when you think about like superstars and legends, they're almost at this like unattainable standard that like exactly, they'll never yeah. really reach you. Like they can inspire you to start making music, but they'll never really reach to the point of you being like, oh man, I really want to do something with this. But like seeing people who are within that proximity, you know, doing it. And like there was um, my eighth grade year, there was a senior at Lakeside named Royce Pearson, uh, probably. Oh, Royce, Royce David. Royce David. Hey, Royce, right, yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> and he was doing production and, and, you know, my brother was at the high school and he was telling me, he's like, yo, this guy DJs our dances. He's like legit. He's really good. And, you know, all those people, like, like those, those are the people that really got me thinking like, Hey, I could really, you know, try to do this. Why don't I try to do this? And so that's when I really started, you know, going crazy with the writing. Um, and that's when I, you know, I guess I always loved writing stories, but that's when I found out that I had this really cool, like intersection of gifts between, you know, writing music and singing and that, you know, putting that together, I was like, I just love creating music. Um, and so I would say those local artists in the Seattle area um, were really influential. Um, Bellevue, I wouldn't say not so much because I don't want to diss Bellevue, but like it was definitely the, it was definitely the guys in Seattle and particularly North Seattle and Shoreline um, were extremely influential. Dude, that's awesome. And it's especially it's especially cool that you have like those those guys that are your age that are making it attainable for you yeah. and like setting it. So it's like, oh, I can do this, too. Yep. Right. That's kind of what we all need to push us toward our goals and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Royce Pearson, who he's talking about, Royce David, he produces for Lil Mosey and he's yep. all, pretty much like all of his songs are, yep. are Royce David produced. Yep. So it's super cool that he had that like right, right there, like at, yep. in the school district. That's yep. so, that's so cool. Um, and so another question, where does the name Oscar J come from? Oscar J. Uh, you know, every time people ask me what Oscar J, like who Oscar J is, I, I wish I had like a really cool answer, but it's, I, I hate to tell you, it's not a very cool answer. Um, I started making music and I told my, my parents, I was like, you know, I want to put out music. And I was 13 when I first said I wanted to put out music. And I think being good parents as they were, my mom and dad were like, well, you're 13. You might put something out on the internet that you regret putting out when you're older and you don't want that to come back to bite you and you don't want it to be permanently attached to your name. Um, and I was like, you know what, that's really fair. Uh, and so they said, why don't you just go ahead and pick a stage name? It can be something fun, whatever. So I took the last name Joseph and I shortened it to the letter J and I looked at it on paper and I said, that looks stupid. So I wrote it out. I said, J A Y. I said, that's cool. <laughs> J like that. And then for the name Oscar, I always thought the name Oscar was cool. And I was like, I think it'd be really cool if I was named Oscar. My mom was like, well, now's your chance. And I was like, all right, sick. I'm Oscar J then. Dude, it has and a nice flow it. to it too. So that, I mean, yeah, and it, it sounds cool. It, it, you know, I, kinda, I wouldn't say it rolls off the tongue for exactly, but it, 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 I think it suits, at least in a way that it feels, I feel like it suits my music well. And I think it fits. So, Dude, I absolutely think it fits. Yeah, I, it rolls off the tongue for me, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so... um. And you were an avid athlete growing up, right? I mean, because yeah. I met you, I met you through a, a track meet in seventh. Yep. It was at sixth grade, seventh grade. I can't really Probably remember. It was the summer there, between, yeah. yeah, it was the Junior Olympics. Yeah. So you're part of a pretty elite club, Speed Unlimited. <laughs> Lots of insane guys came out of very there. fast people come out of that club. Oh yeah, yeah. Probably incredible coaching. Um, yeah. So, what would you say your uh, cross country and track and field experience? And I know you did football your senior year too. I did so. do football. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about that in a later question but right. how have athletics affected your um uh like what kind of lessons have you learned from oh, the athletic realm? i mean one of 
the biggest lessons that I will always take away that I think extends through music and pretty much every intersection of my life is always run through the line, always run through the line. And that's I that's powerful. I take that, I take that specifically as a, with music as something about being meticulous about the music. So if you don't notice, I don't put out music all the time. Like I'm not just dropping out records, 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 like every single week. Because I would rather get it right than get it done quickly. And so obviously it's a little, it seems like antithetical to say like, oh, take your time is something that I learned from track when you're trying to go as fast as possible. But the principle of running through the line of just because a song is almost done doesn't mean it's done. Just because a song is almost there, just because you've almost finished your race doesn't mean you finished your race. And um, one particular point, uh, that I, gosh, I love and hate to talk about this, but the one race that always sticks out to me about running through the line was the summer of my freshman year. This was before um, I had gotten any kinds of injuries. I was perfectly healthy. I was 15. You know, the, you know, you think you think you think you rule the world. You're super fast. You're one of the fastest <laughs> yeah. in the state. You're like, this is it, man. This is the peak of life. Um, I ran in 800 meters. And I had done all of the work that I needed to. I'd done all the training. I, would, I was prepared. I'd done all the interval work. And it was just, it was set up like, this is it. It was, it was a hot day. I performed really well in the heat. You know, it was, I was going to be all alone, which usually isn't that great. But I think in this case, because I was just trying to pace myself, I was like, this is perfect. It's just like a time trial. I was like, this is when I'm going to break two minutes. This is it right here, man. This is it. And I went out. And I, I like, I like had it down to a T. I was like, I'm splitting 58 flat and I'm coming back in 61.5. Like this, like 58 flat, 61.5. Come through the first 229 flat. Come through the, the, um, 400. Come through the 400. I come through the 200 at 29. Come through the 400 at 58 flat. And I'm like, oh, it's happening. It is happening. <laughs> this is it. And so I go down the back stretch and I think I hit like a 128 or 129. And I was like, this is it, man. This is it. I'm closing. And I picked it up. And I think psychologically that it wasn't a mistake, but I think it came back to haunt me that I picked it up with 200 to go because I started pounding and I was going down, down, down until about 50 meters to go. And I thought in the back of my head, I looked at that clock and it was still sitting at like 152. And I thought <laughs> in the back of my head, I've got it. There's no way I don't have it. There is no way I don't have it. Oh, and I is. just sort of got really, really complacent. I started cruising, cruising, cruising. And I hit 153. And then I hit 154. And I hit 155, 56, 57. And all of a sudden, I'm not as close to the finish line as I thought I was. <laughs> so I'm trying to pick it up. And I'm like, oh, snap, what is happening? And now I'm picking it up. And I dip to flat point eight. And it was oh, the most excruciating experience oh. of my life as a track and field athlete. I think you know what that feels like. I'm oh, sure dude. you know what that feels like. Yes. Excruciating. And I think that lesson, obviously there was, you know, you can't be complacent. You have to keep, you have to keep hitting. And I think, you know, especially as a track athlete, um, you can be going deceptively slow at the end of a distance race. You can feel like you are going extremely fast and then you'll look back at the splits and it really wasn't that fast. It's just because you're, you've reached that point of fatigue. You've hit the wall and you are giving it everything you've got. And it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm going hundred miles an hour. 
and you look back and they're like, well, that last 200 was like a 38. And you're like, all right, well, yeah, <laughs> there's nothing much you can do about it. And so it was one of those situations where I felt like I picked it up. I felt like I was going faster, but I really hadn't been going faster. And so then I got complacent because I was like, oh, well, I already picked it up. I already did the hard work. And then I just kind of cruised it in. And so that lesson is something I carry through and I apply that work ethic to music where it's all about, you know, how can I make this song as good as possible? How Super can I powerful. optimize this song? You know, not only for sound, but also for marketability, also for palatability, because you can write a really, really good song. You can write a phenomenal piece of music. You can compose something super well. And then you sit down and you listen to it. And you're like, technically, like, not like tech, but in terms of like technical music, it is really well done. But you, you're sitting there, you're like, no one's going to listen to this. Like, this isn't what people want to hear. No one's like, and there's, there's no vibe that matches it. And I'm not just talking about like not writing like fun songs because you, know, you can write sad songs, you can write melancholy songs and they're good and people will listen to it and there's a market for it and there's a place for it. And also there are some songs that just don't fit any kind of palette and you're just kind of there and you're like, well, when would I even listen to this? And you did everything correctly and you're like, I don't know. And you have to scrap that um, or you have to rework it or you have to think about how you can change the piece of music sonically. Um, and I think having that kind of discipline is something I definitely learned from track. It's just run through the line. Just because the song has been done technically well, just because you ran a good first 750, doesn't mean you get to slow up now. Because sometimes it only takes a little bit of extra work to make that song actually go from, you know, oh, whatever, it's okay, to a good song. And honestly, like, mm. as a small artist myself, it's the 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 difference is noticeable and like this isn't going to sound huge to a lot of people but it's really the difference between getting 500 or a thousand streams in, in the first two weeks because like that's that's usually where i'm targeting i'm not doing like huge numbers i'm like i mean it is what it is but like right, that's, right. that difference is noticeable is the is the was i disciplined with with how i worked through this song um and it, it happens with people coming back to listen to it because you know i drop a song everyone's going to go listen to it the first time like most of most of my fan base is just my friends who are like, "Oh, I like your music. Let me go check it out." Um, but it's <laughs> it about somewhere. People, yeah, it's about getting people to come back. And part of getting people to come back is you, as a creator, being willing to come back and make it better. Exactly, dude. That was super powerful answer. I really uh, that was really well thought out. Thank you. Um, and so yeah, tell me about your family dynamic. Like, who are the members of your family? How like how do they impact? They impacted you. All Gosh, that different stuff. I would say if we're going to talk about music, the two biggest influences. It doesn't have to be dad. about music. But, oh, gosh, you know, no. But I, 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 I'm going to make it about music. I'm okay. Totally okay. <laughs> Fair enough. The two biggest people are my dad and my brother. So my dad, um, he made music. I guess he still does make music. He, he loves music. He's a musical mind. He's, gosh, he's a, he's a brilliant man and, and incredibly creative. And I think he's always he's always offering me something up and, you know, I, I kind of, I razz him quite a bit because the music he listens to is old and like, you know, I definitely <laughs> love some old music, but like growing up, we used to razz him a lot. Like he would play a lot of Prince, he would play a lot of new edition and such. And we would just kind of laugh it off and be like, Oh, this stuff isn't good. But then, you know, you, you mature and you kind of get a better understanding of like what good music is. And then you start to appreciate it a little more. But even then I would say his, um, his music taste is still outdated 
uh, I would say. So, you know, he'll offer. <laughs> I like New Edition. I'm not yeah, I love New Edition as well. And I, I think New Edition is great, but I'm saying as a whole. New Edition and oh, Prince sure. are phenomenal, but I'm saying as a whole, I would say my dad's music taste is not Oh, yeah. He will listen to old artists that aren't good. Like there are some <laughs> artists from a long time ago that we don't still listen to for a reason because they didn't stand the test of time. There's, there's some music that was ahead of its time and it's still good now. And there's other music that was made in the eighties and it should stay in the eighties because it wasn't really that good. <laughs> so true. Um, and so I would say my, my dad's music taste is a little outdated. Um, but you know, he's really passionate about music and he really cares. And he's really invested. And he's always like, he's like, you can make this song better. He's like, you can make this song better. And as someone who didn't grow up in the digital age where everything is almost just like taken care of for you, he has a more, he has a much better technical understanding of, of how do you make music sound the way it does using the tools you have. So like nowadays we don't even think about it. We just go into the studio, we click on, Oh, this is this preset right here that, that the studio has set for you. You go in, you sing, and then it comes out and it sounds great. But my dad has an understanding of every single individual, you know, you ever see those like huge boards in the studios? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see those huge boards in the studios. Most of the time, 90% of the time, no one's really using those. No one's really using those. Oh, really? Those are usually set to presets more often than not. Those are set to presets for different types of songs. So, you know, you're an artist and like, what kind of artist is this guy? What kind of music is he trying to make? And then they'll set the preset and you go and you record and then they do all the editing and post-production. So that editing is that engineering work in particular is really hard, um, especially if you don't understand it technically. And so my dad, because he grew up in an age before you could just go on your computer and just like, you know, auto tune right away. He knows those presets and he knows those, those controls. And by having that kind of understanding, he's able to then tell you like, Hey, here's something that the computer is not going to tell you to do. But if you do this, if you go in and manually do this, it's going to sound better. And I think that kind of feedback is always, always awesome because he has a different perspective on music than I do. I grew up in a totally different era of music than he did. And, you know, we're about the same, I'm about the same age as he was when he was making music, um, like really seriously. And here I am with a totally different set of tools at my disposal and also without the same kind of knowledge. Like I'm not even, I'm not even going to front here. Like I don't have, tremendous music knowledge like i can i can probably i can read music like i can i can read sheet music i can sight sing and that's pretty much about it you know i'm not i'm not like a professional violinist i don't have a phenomenal production background but i have you know an incredible group of people around me who work really really hard um to help make my music sound as good as possible and i i would say my dad uh, is a part of that group of people because of you know, how much technical knowledge he knows about music. And then I would also say my brother, my big brother, Ruben, is so influential in my music because he was, is, and probably always will be my toughest critic. He <laughs> is my toughest critic. As a I, can should make be. A, I could make, you know, my magnum opus. I could make the best song I will ever make in my life. And he'll look at it and he'll be like, eh. <laughs> he's constantly constantly critiquing my music and i will admit it gets annoying at times because sometimes i will actually have something because he because here's the thing is everyone has their own individual tastes and sometimes i have to decipher the difference between is this not a great piece of music or is it just not his taste 
because sometimes I will really actually run through the line and I will finish a song and I'll play it for him and he'll be like, I don't like it. And I have to be able to decipher, is it, is it not well done or does he just not like it? Is it not his? And either way, that criticism, I would say, often will hold me accountable on running through the line because there will be points where I'll be like, oh, I think this is great. And then I'll give it to him and be like, this is hot garbage. And I'll be like, all right, got to go back to the drawing board. Like that's, that's just what happens. And um, so I would say my dad and my brother, gosh, they phenomenal, phenomenal people who have been super helpful with my music endeavors. And obviously the rest of my family, especially my extended family, my cousins, my mom, my sister, I guess my mom, my sister are my extended family, but them as well. Um, and my oldest brother, uh, they do a lot of, you know, promotion. They'll tell everyone about my music, like, oh, get, go check out my brother, go check out my cousin, go check out my son. Um, and of course, just just getting my music out to as many people as possible has always been a goal because, you know, obviously, like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I don't want to be famous. Like every every artist who who works hard at their craft wants to be famous. But I think the priority is reaching as many people as possible. It's just giving as many people the opportunity to hear my music and be like, do I like this or not? It's just getting it out because I don't, I don't, I know not everyone is going to like my music, but if I can get as many people to hear it, then I can find the people who really do. And that's really important to me. That's a super mature mentality. It's about actually impacting people. Yeah. There's so many people that in music, I know there's millions of artists out there, but like, I feel like there's a lot of people that are literally just doing it because they want money or they want this. It's like, you're actually doing it for the love of music. And I think that's super cool, regardless of what you're, what you're actually doing, Yeah, doing it because you love doing it and just because you, you love being in the action of doing it. So yeah. that's super, super dope, man. And if I, if um, I ever reach a point of having like a, you know, like a fan base, I would even, you know, go so far as to be like, these are people who I would want to know personally. Like I, I, I will always want my fans to really be my friends. Like I will want the people who love my music to be like there. And for me to be like, Hey, I'm working on this project. What do you think of this? Even like, you know, if if someone from like all the way across the world was like, Hey, I like your music. I'll be like, awesome. I'm working on a project right now. How about I call you and you listen to what I have going on. You let me know what you think because reaching those people is what really, really counts. That's what really matters to me. That's how people build like really good cult followings. And like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's huge, man. Um, As you probably know, hit the wall is your biggest song. Yes, it is. I'd like to, I mean, obviously I know it was a time where that little thing was yeah. popular and, you know, um, but I'm curious to see like, or hear what the, what the process behind that was like and how that all came together. Again, here's going to be a pretty underwhelming story. So I was <laughs> at Fred Meyer with my very, very dear friend. Um, awesome gal, Maxine, uh, Maxine Reyes. If you're watching this, you're the goat. Um, she's awesome. And we were walking around Fred Meyer and they had those like cameras and it was like recording in progress. And, you know, me being kind of a goofball, I'm like pulling my phone out and being like, Oh yeah, I'm recording you too. Um, (laughs) And so every, and then eventually, you know, that joke got old. We were still going around Fred Meyer. And every time I saw a camera, I would hit the wall. I saw a camera like, uh, uh, I saw another camera. like, uh, uh, And then I was walking with her and I was like, man, I'm hitting the wall everywhere I go. I was like, yo, yo, <laughs> we like, Paul was like, yo, that's kind of a bar. I was like, that's yeah. kind of a bar. So I pulled out my notes app and I wrote it down. I was like, hit the woe everywhere I go. And then 
Um, it ended up becoming hit the wall everywhere you go or everywhere we go, everywhere I go, however you want to slice it up or chop it up, whatever you think I, I'm saying, whatever works. Like, I'm kind of mumbling in that song anyway. Um, but, <laughs> you know, uh, I called up Cam, who's Cameron's the best. He's, he's my main producer engineer. He's, he's the guy I've been working with pretty much since the beginning. Um, I called him and I was like, hey, I've got this idea. And he was like, all right. And this was about the same time we were working on Utopia, my first EP. Um, and so we were writing that and that was a really meticulous process. Again, that was one of those, you got to run through the finish line and, it, and the race is going to be longer than you think it is. It's like a, it's like a long cross country course. The Utopia yeah. was like a long cross country course where, where you're, you're like, man, I feel like I've already run the 5k, but you got to keep going because the finish line is not there yet. And so we were in the middle of that project. Um, and I think at one point, we were working on a song. I can't remember exactly which one, but we decided we we're going to take a break. Like, let's take a break. We've been at this for a while. We're getting tired. We're getting mentally exhausted. Let's take a break. And I was like, I want to take a break from this, but I don't want to take a break from music. I love music. I always want to do music. So I pulled it out and I was like, I got this. Let me just write this up. And then in about 15 minutes, I finished writing the song and you know, we recorded the song over a beat that we found on YouTube by this guy named Flex Boy. That's why the the tag is that I'm always flexing. That's oh flexing. yeah yeah yeah. It's a YouTube. That's beat. his. That's his tag. Um, I don't know if the beat is still on YouTube. It might not be, but I mean, if it is, you you, you guys can go find it. Look up Mexico Ski Master Slump God type beat by Flex Boy, and you'll find the beat, the original beat for Hit the Well. Um, then we made it, and he was like, "This is cool," and I was like, "All right." And he's like, "But it's missing something." And so then he just pulled out his 808 and just slammed the bass. And we, I can we hear just, that in that song. We just turned up the bass. And I honest to God believe that's the reason it has so many streams. It's because <laughs> Cam pulled out that 808. It was like, we're going crazy on the bass here. Um, and then we had some, he had some of his buddies in the room at the time. And they're like, yo, this is cool. And then I talked to Nathan Zonga about it. He's like, let me get you in touch with a guy who can do a video for you. So that's how I met Gome and then Gome did the video. Um, and gosh, I mean, he, he went crazy with the video. I mean, he did, he did a whole, like, yeah, he has this whole unique like style of effects and, and everything. And he put it all together and, you know, I let him do the whole treatment for it. Like as much as I have like a big creative vision, I also, I have a lot of faith in the people around me because I know I'm not a creative genius. You know, I'm not, the greatest musician or creator that will ever exist. But I think if I can do a really good job of finding people that are really good at different pieces of things and bringing those people together to help make my vision come to life, then I can create, you know, good work. Like if I, I would say if I wanted to, I could try to go direct my own music video and, you know, just try to like take control of that piece of the creative process. But I know that that's not something I'm phenomenally going to be successful at. So that's where I, I call a guy like Goldman. I'm like, Hey, here's a song I'm working on. You take the reins on the video. I trust you. You're an incredibly creative minded person and you're, you know, really good at what you do. So go ahead and do your thing. And you bring me in, you tell me what I need to do and then we'll make it happen. And it's the same way with like production is if I have an idea, like I said, I'm not a very like, production oriented person but if i have an idea i'll call camera i'll call aiden or i'll call josh and i'll be like hey i have this idea right and this is how i can make it i'm not sure how to technically make it happen but this is what i'm thinking what can you do for me and then they'll go and help me out 
And that's what helps bring all the stuff that I write and all the stuff that I sing to life is all of those other pieces and everyone just bringing it together. And so I would say just having Cam being like, hey, let's pull out the 808s. I wouldn't have thought of that. Maybe I would have been like, oh, let's crank up the bass. But I mean, he, he pulled it out and just manually went crazy on the bass for himself. And like, that's something that he's, he's able to do because of his, his skills. And I'm not saying like, you know, pulling out an 808 is like a super high technical skill, but it's, it's also something that I'm not super gifted at is, is having that, you know, wherewithal and, and mental bandwidth to be like, here's what I can do to make this a better piece of music. I don't always have that. Um, and so that's what trusting the people around you is all about. That's super cool, man. Um, it's been, it's been a great conversation. I just wanted to compliment you. Uh, just every time we speak, it's like, you're, you're super articulate and elaborate thinker. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just always a super like deep conversation. I remember one time, like I, you slid up on my Snapchat story about like, who's the best Spider-Man. And oh, then, yeah. like, <laughs> dude, I still remember that. I mean, it was a su- simple thing, but I was like, he like we, we like took it next level like we yeah like, I, I, was like, I think that's a very important that's a, i mean it's not an important conversation to have but like if you're gonna have it have it for real man exactly right that's that's where i am and yeah so th- thank you so much for your your time and, and everything but um just have one more question for you um what's what's the what's the one thing that makes you different from the millions of artists out there what makes you cutting edge I would say if I had to say what makes me cutting edge is that I am not great at any one thing, but I am good at so many things at one time and I know how to put it together. I am not the greatest singer you will ever meet. Not at all. I'm not the greatest songwriter you will ever meet. I'm not the greatest networker you'll ever meet. I'm not the greatest producer, not the greatest at coming up with video ideas. I'm not the greatest creative director, but I'm pretty good at all of those things. And I work every single day to put that all together to create Oscar J. That's what, that's who Oscar J is, is the intersection of all of those things is this songwriter, this singer, this rapper, this producer, this guy who connects with engineers, this guy who connects with other producers who are even better at what he's doing, this guy who, you know, wants to travel and make music with people um, and who is, you know, all, who's, who's a listener, who's a learner, who will take advice from extremely wise minds like Nathan Zonga and who will be willing to, you know, accept that kind of mentorship and accept that kind of, you know, that kind of friendship of someone who, who knows this kind of industry and, and creative process even better than you do. Um, and so I really work hard to put it all together. And I would say what makes me cutting edge is my ability to do all of those things at once and have it all come together as one creative piece. That being Oscar J. I would say Oscar J is bigger than any, than the sum of his songs. Oscar wow. J is bigger than the sum of his songs again dude just answer after answer after answer you really ran through the line with this interview man thank you i, <laughs> I appreciate that you you brought some good questions i mean it's, it's hard to give good answers to the questions suck but you gave good good questions so i'm able to provide dude and well. i had like flipping like double the questions i asked too just, <laughs> I, th- I thought this limit had like a time like a this meeting had like a time limit on it like you yeah, know what I'm saying because like the free version of Zoom like doesn't go yeah, yeah. you know the full twenty four hour like whatever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we definitely need to do like a part two of this interview. Absolutely, man. 
Cause always, like, always, always happy to connect with you. It's always good to chat with you, man. Dog. That was the first one. First time out. <laughs> I brought a killer guest out here, so ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, you're too, you're too kind, man. I appreciate that. No, but for real, like I don't just blow smoke up people's butts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm for real. Like, yeah, I just, just amazed by your maturity, the head you have on your shoulders. Thank you. More, not to mention, you know, how phenomenally talented you are at music, and thank you. How hard you work. I mean, I can tell how meticulous and thought through your songs are. Yeah, and it's like with phone tag. Everybody stream phone tag if you haven't already. Go stream phone tag if you haven't already. Oh, I mean, yeah. if you have already, go stream phone tag anyway. Go stream it care. again. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you have stream phone tag, you probably are streaming it again because it's yeah. a good song. But if you have stream phone tag, go tell a friend to stream phone tag. Exactly. Yeah. Go phone a friend, you know? Yeah. Phone a friend, but, literally. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but yeah. So where can people follow you on social media? Uh, at Elion Joseph six, that's E L I A N J O S E P H six on Instagram. Uh, that's, that's the main place you can find me where you can look me up on pretty much any music platform. Oscar J spelled J A Y Oscar, just like how you'd spell it the American way. O S C A R. I don't know if there's, that might be a European name. I'm, I, I don't know. I think but I know some people spell Oscar. Yeah. Some people spell Oscar with a K. I spell it with a, I spell it with a C O S C A R. J-A-Y, you can look it up anywhere, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, Google Play, Amazon, anything. Um, Oscar J. Uh, yeah. You can check Perfect. out my music. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for joining us today, everyone who is listening. Uh, appreciate your time if you made it this far. Um, yeah. Episode one, Cutting Edge. Yeah. Elian Joseph, ladies and gentlemen. So there good to be here, man. I'm, su- I'm super excited for what you got going on. All right. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Have a good one. You as well. Take care.